Keep to the darkness, Hera whispers, for the light will be your undoing. Welcome to the Conics Corner, everybody. I am John. I am your host for this evening. Uh, after a couple of weeks off from us, we have the marvelous, the magnificent, the melodious Matthew Klein back with us. Man, at least you didn't call me the malodorous. I really appreciate that. But. That you're very welcome. That's what I am here for. Uh, and we have two returning guests, two of my favorite people um, that have appeared on Comics Corner. I'm so happy to have them back. We have the brainy, the brilliant, the beautiful Jeremiah J. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate that. That is what I am here for. And then our last guest joining us, we have the fabulous, the fierce, the flawless Nick Osborne. Oh, fabulous at the very least. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, and I'm going to start this out by saying full spoiler alert. In effect, there is absolutely no way to discuss this book without spoiler alert. Um, I also don't believe there is a way to discuss this book with, uh, with any sort of separation of the script, the art, and the colors. So let's start off talking about Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons, written by Kelly Sudakonic, art by Phil Jimenez, Hi-Fi, Arif Prianto, and Romulo Fajardo Jr. are the colorists. It is put out by DC's Black Label. And full disclosure, we were going to do this last week, um, but in addition to some scheduling issues, I felt the first time I read this, I was like, there is no way that I can absorb this entire book in two days. So we took an extra week because there is a lot here. Um, but I'm going to throw this question to Jeremiah and to Nick first, because Matthew and I have a long history with Wonder Woman. If you have listened to the podcast at all, you know we have a long history with Wonder Woman. But Jeremiah, let's start with you. Do you have a history with Wonder Woman at all? I do not. Uh, Wonder Woman has always been one of those things that I've always observed from the outside. It has such a pantheon to it um, that it, it's kind of daunting for someone to just like, try to get into Wonder Woman. Um, I did read a couple issues of her New 52 stuff, but uh, she's not one of my staples. After reading this, I'm very excited to continue to read this. Um, but if, if you wouldn't mind, I have a small tangent in yes, between when we were going to record and now uh, there has been a major announcement that does affect Wonder Woman. And I just want to give a shout out really quick. Um, George Perez made his announcement a, a few days ago uh, and the love that we need to show that man for the remaining time that he has. For those unaware, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer to stage three and he's letting nature take its course. Um, and I read his little bit of Wonder Woman. Well, not, he had a lot of bit of Wonder Woman, but I have read Wonder Woman that George Perez has done, and he's just an amazing human being. And Phil Jimenez even said a couple days ago that this is a love letter to him as well, the story itself. So uh, thank you, George, for the work that you've done and 
continue to be a staple for this industry and you will be remembered forever. Thank you. I just yeah. wanted to say that really quick. Well, thank you. Um, I will tell you a very super quick story about George Perez. Um, Matthew and I were working at South Carolina Comic-Con one year and he was one of the guests and he came in early every day of the convention and had them announce for anyone who is working the convention, if you want to sketch and you're worried that you're not going to get away from your booth, I'm coming in an hour early to do sketches for everybody. He did sketches. He took pictures with every single person. He thanked everybody who came to get a sketch. He thanked everybody who was working at the con. He was just one of the most lovely. He is one of the most lovely people and um, all love to him and especially for what he did for Wonder Woman. And he is on my list to get to. So we have, <laughs> we will be having a whole lot of, of, of love for him today. I, I would just add on in, in an industry that is known for big egos, uh, George Perez, who deserves to have one of the biggest egos in the history of the business is renowned for being such a gentleman and gentle, generous soul. And it is a absolute travesty fact of life that these things happen and that we will lose him. But uh, when you're done with this podcast, not only read Wonder Woman Historia, but hopefully we'll recommend some other George Perez reads for Wonder Woman because he is a integral uh, creator in the history of this character. Sorry, John. Go for it, man. That is okay. Show love where love is due and love is due to that man. He's, he's amazing. You're here. Um, Nick, how about your history with Wonder Woman? Do you have much of one? I have a history with Wonder Woman simply because I've been involved with comics on a lot of different levels and it's hard to be involved in the press side of comics without being in that realm of Wonder Woman and especially the fandom that has exploded since uh, the massively popular films and all of this type of thing. But going back to sort of the love of George Perez, I can't not say my story here because I, I do have this like intrinsic connection that has happened through that and it's in the digital realm that you don't see a lot of people in their connections with George Perez of these awesome convention appearances and moments of clarity with them and meeting them um, in early days when I'm deciding I want to get into comics and I'm over an hour and a half away from a local comic shop the best thing I can do is google what comic should I read and it's to the surprise of nobody that George Perez's work comes up a lot um, I have a, quite a few of the significant Wonder Woman reboot that he spearheaded, and it was sort of one of those moments where he, he helped to shape my foundational love of the medium without me even really being aware of it and helped to define what is a quality comic and what sort of absorbs me into the storytelling of the medium, because I was able to find that through everybody else's love that is shared online and saying like, look, you want to get into comics? These are what you need to get into. And George Perez's work comes up over and over again. So it's a it's an awesome moment to be here talking about Wonder Woman, uh, despite it being such a the circumstances that it is. I have been really overwhelmed with the timeline on any social media feed of everything being all about George Perez and then the focus on it being Wonder Woman. And we, we saw uh, uh, Jimenez post on social media, they wouldn't be doing this work without the influence of George Perez. So the, the lineation of inspiration that has brought um, all of us here together is, is really monumental. So I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm so glad that we're able to talk about such an awesome, spectacular career and work. And, and it's just, it's a big moment, right? 
It it absolutely is a big moment, and I think um, I think the four of us are due for having a Wonder Woman, New Teen Titans, Avengers, George Perez uh, comics corner sometime very very soon. Go. I think oh, that's a great idea. idea. Way to <laughs> kick off the new year. <laughs> Um, but I do want to turn the conversation specifically to Wonder Woman Historia and a lot of the reviews that I have been listening to and a lot of the talk that I have been hearing about this book, people sort of almost go page by page and I really don't want to do that. I am going to start off probably to no one's surprise saying, I believe that this book is actually going to be taught someday very, very soon in graphic novel classes and comics classes everywhere. I think it is amazingly and brilliantly done. And I think it is very close to a perfect example of using comics as commentary on contemporary culture. And I want to know what you three think. I'm, I'm very excited because I have a feeling there's going to be some big arguments between Matthew and I today. <laughs> The best part of our comics quarter. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Matthew, since you, um, since I didn't ask the first question of you, let me ask the second. Am I right? You're never right. So in this instance, I can't say that you're right. Wow. Uh, okay. First of all, rude. Secondly, continue. Well, I have to create drama on here somehow. What what else are the listeners going to do? Wow, it's not <laughs> the Real Housewives of comic book culture. Come on, Matthew. <laughs> So, so I, I think, um, I don't know if you're right yet. Um, I, I think that the artwork is absolutely spectacular. Um, I am waiting to see if as a whole, it is more than the sum of its pieces. And we really won't know that until we get to the very end of this story. Um, but I completely understand the inclination for people to go, page by page by page right now. Um, uh, so I love the artwork. I think the artwork is incredible. Um, I think that is going to be studied for years to come. I do agree with that. I think the, the commentary on there is absolutely bashed in your face and as it should be, I think it's beautifully done. Um, as it all pulls together from a pacing standpoint, I think it's very interesting in the approach that it's going with. I think it makes me want to read the next issue, which is the main goal of the first chapter of any story. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see it next. I think what I'm still waiting for right now is a little bit of the larger scope of what the actual story for this is going to be. Um, and from that, I have some questions about the pacing of it. Um, right now, it feels very novelistic, which I understand is part of the intent. Um, and I know that that is sort of a, an in vogue thing to do, it feels like, in a lot of comics these days. So I'm waiting. I, I wish it was paced a little bit more for that episodic nature of, of the storytelling. Um, so that's my, that's my one kind of qualm. So, so, I, so no, I don't think you're right yet, but you could be right by the end of this series. Uh, someone side with me. Jeremiah, Nick. I agree with you that there's a lot of commentary um, like thrown right into your face and it's very important to get it out there. I, I do agree that the artwork is absolutely incredible. The coloring is mind-boggling. Shout out for the coloring. Yeah. yeah. The coloring is absolutely mind-boggling. 
it's amazing. Uh, even the lettering, the choosing of the lettering, especially when Zeus is talking, um, it, it really carries a lot of gravitas to it. And the content cannot be overstated <laughs> um, about exactly how everything is coming to be. I do agree that the pacing, uh, I'm really interested to see. I do want to read the next issue already. Like I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I want it real bad. But it, it did leave me wanting a little bit more out of this because hey, Jeremiah, it was a lot thing. of fun. I want the next issue, but I want the next issue because it's so beautiful to look at that I just want more artwork. I don't know that I want the next issue because the story has compelled me to say to myself, oh my God, I want the next issue. That's, the, that's my thing. So my big question is going to be, should they have just released the story as an OGN versus having broken it up the way they have? That's going to be my big question for this particular storytelling. That's fair. Nick, That's fair. Nick, where do you fall, man? I, I, I'm sort of probably more in agreement with John on this one. I'm not going to lie. Um, this created a cultural moment. Um, and it, it sort of tapped into something that you can't plan, right? Um, this is something that when it released and the timing of its release feels like it's a, a timeless attempt but it also has a very, very relevant commentary to it right now. And I think that there's a, a level of execution that we've been able to see with this that you just don't find anywhere. And I think that's across the board. That's why we're able to say, you know, from the artwork to the colors to the lettering, but I don't want to leave out the type of writing that, that sort of led to this because, I mean, Jimenez himself said that nothing you see on this page didn't come from uh, what, DeConnick actually wrote and he's he sort of in that moment of everybody heaping all this praise on his work and what he brought to the table and he's still pointing to the fact that you know he was reading a script from Kelly Sue DeConnick and I think that there's something in that writing that inspired this level of brilliance in the execution and the timing of its release and the commentary and the totality of that and what we're able to see in this cultural moment makes it a commentary on something much larger than the history of Wonder Woman and how it sets into the, the zeitgeist of what we see in DC Comics. So I think it's sort of something that I, I agree with John on like, it's going to be something that's taught in probably narratology classes on the, the combination of what the actual execution and artwork looks like and how it blends with the writing. I'd love to see what the script for this look like, because, you know, how are you getting these different pages out of that type of, uh, out of that writing? But I think what it culminated into was a, a type of moment that I didn't expect when it was uh, announced, what, in 2018, um, I think is when the original announcement went yeah. out. So, I mean, impossible to predict the type of cultural moment that it brought or that it ushered into not just fandom, but kind of in general. And you can't replicate that anywhere. I think it's sort of magical in that. Yeah. And I, I do want to point out, I, I completely understand the irony of four dudes sitting here talking about a book that was written by a woman, woman from a woman's point of view that is supposed to be a textbook for young Amazons, young women. And I, I understand the irony of that. Um, but I'm going to bring up a question that is going to be one of those things that um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for. You can at me. I only check my Twitter like once a month, so I probably won't get it anytime soon, but feel free to at me. And he's um, not on Instagram, folks. There's literally no, no way you're actually going to get through to this man. Not on Instagram, <laughs> not on Facebook. No, no. nothing. Um, 
But on a very surface level, I think there are going to be some people who don't like this comic because they think that it is 64 pages of bashing men. I do not read it that way at all. I think it is very much um, about the, in, not indictment, that's not the right word for it, an exploration, a, a very pointed look at how cultures in charge and cultural systems in place are built to shut out people who are not in that place. So I think anyone can read this book. I think someone who is a woman will get something different, but will also get something very similar from someone who is reading it who is African-American, who will also get something from it very similar, who is a person in the queer community. I just think there's all sorts of these things. I never once read this book, even at the beginning when, again, spoiler alert and full effect, when, um, when Harris says we are tired of men, which men, all of them, not mankind, men. And I understand that people who are not looking deeply at this, and I think that's what a case, what this is, is someone not going, oh, this is, it's not about, I almost want to say to people, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about <laughs> us. It's about, yeah. it's not you, it's the royal you. Um, so Jeremiah, I'm going to throw this one to you. What are your feelings on, did you get a different feel from it than I did when I was reading it? No, very similar feeling. Um, the, the, we're done with men, not mankind. Like even Poseidon said, all right, let's just flood and start over. If you're, if you're that, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. That's not what we want. We want to be a part of it. We want to not be shut out. And all these roles have been established for such a long time. And that's just the way things are going. That's just it's how it's always been, is, is kind of the shrugging of the shoulders excuse that is given to Hera. And they're done with it. They're sick of it. And they go about making it not so. Um, the Amazons birthed ready to go. Amazons birthed with armor and weaponry. Like that is such a badass scene and such a badass like thought process of we're hitting the ground running we're going um that i i love that and again going back to kelly sudaconic's script and Jimenez's artwork it's just it all rolls into one very very well um and yeah again anyone from different backgrounds can read this and pull something else from it but all pulling together is we want something different we, we don't want the same thing that's been keeping everyone down for so long, keeping someone down in a different way. We all want to be included. We all want to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I read this and I think, oh, it's, you know, obviously it's a very much placed in ancient Greece. It's very much in that foreign world. Um, and I'm going to do a Carrie Bradshaw for a second here and say, I couldn't help but wonder, are we as evolved as we think we are? Matthew? Well, the answer is no. Um, because if, if you ask the, you know, the controlling dominant, uh, you know, body of society, they're of course going to say yes, but they're wrong. Um, it's just the nature of, of evolution. There's always more that you can do. There's always more to grow. It's a never ending process so anybody who says we're good where we are just is afraid of change and 
tries to keep it down. And it's exactly that sort of uh, controlling governing body that this story is about overthrow. This, for me, this read as a story about revolution. This was a story about upheaval. This is a story about empowerment. It's a story of the downtrodden of the, um, the, the second class citizens who are refusing to be that anyway and are plotting to overthrow the dominant force in their society to enact greater change. And with a goal of equality and freedom, but also with a bit of vengeance and anger in their heart to do it with which is how a lot of revolution starts. So for me, this is a book about revolution. It, it's interesting that you say that. I'm sorry, Nick, I'll get you in one second. I just want to point this, this out. When the, the goddesses are in the, um, the well of souls, it's not the well of souls, it's the well of the lost. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating to me is that each one of them, not only the gift they give, but the order that they give them is actually mm -hmm. kind of the order of a revolution, which I find fascinating because you start with the tears and then you go with dreams and ideas and then you go with courage and liberty and you go with the fear that comes with saying, I deserve this. Um, and then you go with strength and you go with cunning and then you finally have this sort of life, this life, the birth of, 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 a, of a revolutionary movement. Um, and it, I'm going to say it took me probably four or five reads to really kind of capture. I, I felt there was something about it that grabbed me, but I wasn't sure what it was. Nick, how long do you feel it took you to really kind of grab, oh, that's what that is? Am I just slow? Sure. <laughs> no, I'm not sure I've even totally grasped it now. I feel like this is one that you can keep pulling different themes out of because there's so much complexity in the execution. Um, but I want to go back to a word, like a key word Matthew said, and that's empowerment. There's so many other things and so many other elements happening here, but there's a, a commentary angle of empowerment here where it's easy to feel like it become it can become accusational in its tone. And that's where sitting here is uh, for dudes can come into play because it's it might be a topic that we might be keen to dance around but it always becomes empowerment against what what's the juxtaposition of this and that's where we feel like is this speaking to me uh, when I'm done with all man um, it, it can feel like it's something where it, it feels like it's being accusational but when you approach that from an empowerment of a community that's where we're able to get into like what john was saying where if a black person is reading this as if a queer is reading this or if a woman is reading this what are we bringing into it with our own life experiences and expectations and i think that empowerment angle is so wonderfully explored here through mythology and, and through character development and of course it's got a, a magnifying glass over it through this magnificent artwork but what we're seeing is sort of the empowerment juxtaposed against what destruction looks like in the evolutionary cycle and what's required as to separate from that. So when you're asking for distinction, your question when you're on the other side is distinction from what? Because that feels like it's an attack against me, but it's not approached in that way because we're able to distinguish what that means and what it means for an Amazon. So that's where Jeremiah starts getting into, you know, how badass it is that they're ready to hit the ground running. They're, they're born into this role. Um, and that's sort of where we see that empowerment of community happen with the steps that need to happen, like John was saying, where you're, you're moving through these different ideas and concepts and ideologies to get to where you need to be. But they front load that messaging right at the beginning with like this moment that makes you almost want to set the book down 
down and be like, holy shit, because it feels like it, it's just monumental and, and you can't help but be absorbed in everything else that happens after that. So no matter what, if it's the next few pages after that insanely cool introduction versus the the next issue you're kind of already here for this empowerment cycle because you've been introduced to it in such a powerful way that you want to be a part of it but sitting here as four dudes you could be made made to feel like you're not part of it and i think that's some of the the intrigue for me and that's where i say like maybe i don't fully understand it even after reading it quite a few times because there's something there that Maybe it wasn't written exactly for me. Maybe I can latch onto it from a different community perspective and what empowerment means from that angle and find what I need to find out of it. But I think there's so much depth and complexity there that it's almost impossible for me to say, I get this. And, and I think that's where some of my excitement for the book comes from. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it comes to do with because Zooks has the, that line, each of us has a role to play and he sort of breaks it down for everybody. Um, but when you sort of approach it like that, it doesn't necessarily give other people the wiggle room to grow, to be a fully fledged human. And one of the things that I think is fascinating, and, and actually I'm gonna unleash Matthew and Jeremiah on this one because we have Wonder Woman fan versus Wonder Woman newbie. Um, the thing that I love about this book and that I am fascinated by and that I don't necessarily think a ton of Wonder Woman writers get is that she is either peaceful, loving, I don't want to ever have a fight, or she is angry, I'm going to get a sword and chop everybody up. As if those things can't exist in one person, as if you can't believe in peace. And the Amazons are so often written as having this idyllic world, having this perfect world, having this idea of peace. Um, and yet they are clearly coming from this place of, of aggression and anger, rightfully earned by every stretch of the imagination. And I love the line, um, just after the Amazons are born, where, um, I believe it's Antiope who is narrating this. Um, and she says, there is no innocence in them, meaning the Amazons. Vulnerability comes later when it is cultivated and earned. And it almost feel like, feels like, oh, did Diana only get that vulnerability and that innocence because everyone else earned it? And this sort of idea of generations of you are not the first person to come up with this idea and you are not alone. You are standing on someone else's shoulders. So Matthew is the, the Wonder Woman old school and Jeremiah as the, the newbie Wonder Woman. Um, I'm going to let you guys kind of add it and kind of talk, uh, if you can kind of talk us through the idea of why do we have such a difficult time having a superhero his, who is both peaceful and can fight? Um, from, from an outside perspective, looking at Wonder Woman, it's uh, when you see her in the Justice League or or whatnot, you want her to be that brute. You want her to be that tank, essentially. Um, and when it's when she's just in the Justice League, and most of the time she's usually the only woman around, you don't really expect her to be the talker or the peacekeeper, um, at least from my perspective. Because again, I haven't read much in the way of single issue Wonder Woman's. I think I'm less than twenty single issue Wonder Woman's. 
um, in my history. Uh, so, like, with the opening of this book itself, um, what was the line that you used? Um, yeah, some say they cut off their breasts to aid in fight with air, flight with arrows. Some are liars, uh, fabulists. Like, what, what Kelly Sudeikonik is establishing here, um, going back to the, it needs to be cultivated with the callback to uh, how everyone had to be a prostitute until they could buy themselves a husband. Everyone has to learn sympathy and whatnot. Um, it's really establishing the mythos of the Amazons well, and it leads me to understand Diana more, at least I hope to in the next issue um, with the continuation of this story. That makes sense. Did I did I do a decent job with that? You did. It absolutely makes sense, Matthew. You're the you're uh, you're the second biggest Wonder Woman fa fan here. Should I put this delicately or should I not put this delicately? This is what uh, I would put it respectfully. I don't. You think can you hurt me apart. I'm okay with that. So I think that the comics medium in general has historically done a little bit of disservice in the sense that it it tries to tell very simplistic narrowed down versions of characters characters if you if you look at portrayals of characters up to a certain point because it was written for a very young audience characters were not written with a lot of complication they were written to have an identifiable trait um, that you could latch onto and was easily understood and translatable. As we evolve as readers, as the medium evolves, it allows for the ability for characters to become more three-dimensional and to have more um, depth in the sense that they are not simply, they, they are able to have a contradiction within them. But even even to this day, if you look at a lot of content that is designed to be quote unquote mainstream, um, where they say a lot of the most successful stories ever told are written for a seventh grade reading level, they still tend to try to oversimplify a character and a character's motivations and what a character is capable of. So I think that at various times, depending on the moment in society, the creative team, what editorial had in mind for the character of Diana, and quite frankly, what bias they were bringing from their own tastes of, of Wonder Woman stories. And I think it's very important to remember there is always bias when involving a work for hire creative endeavor. And there's some bias in creator owned, don't get me wrong. It's just different people with different bias have more control over the situation. So I think that the, the sense that you cannot have a, a character and especially a female character capable of both being peaceful and pacifistic and wanting to resolve everything versus also having the angry woman archetype, which I worry sometimes it gets fallen into, um, who's angry, hysterical, emotional, if you will. So, which is terrible and you don't want to fall into that. So it's, it's one of those things where as we have evolved as readers, as the medium has evolved, you're able to now have both sides of a character really be expressed. But quite frankly, 
I would question whether or not there are a lot of times that people want that much depth or they think that much depth will sell. Well, but here's that much depth will be a, a value added to the book or if it would overcomplicate, quote unquote, which I think is bullshit. But nonetheless, if that was the mentality at the time of which they were doing it. But I think that is a larger question, which I'm going to throw to Nick just to make his life more difficult, which is, do we accept those contradictions in male comic characters that we don't accept in female characters? Because if you look at something like, and I realize I'm treading on very difficult territory here. So, you know, just so everybody knows, I'm asking the question because I've been reading Wonder Woman since 1976. I love her. I'm just asking a question that is brought up in the larger context of this story. Um, so, for example, we have uh, someone like Captain America, who has these very strong, the, the aspirational part of America, but at the same time, nobody has a problem if he, you know, punches someone in the neck. Um, do we have a, you know, is it, is that as acceptable with a female character? And Nick, I'm going to throw that to you because you read a lot of comic books. And I don't know if Matthew is shaking his head, like, don't ask that question, or if he's shaking his head that it's not acceptable. And I'm not sure. And he's not typing in the chat. So I don't know. When, when, you, when, when Nick is done, if you want to come back to me, I have an answer for that question, too. Of course you do, my darling. You have an answer for everything. <laughs> no, I never I think... offer it's the right answer, though. Let me be perfectly clear. I, I'm similar in that, but I think the short answer is, of, of course we accept that in male characters more. I, I think we've uh, been programmed in our consumption of media over time and our accessibility to certain characters and certain developments that has sort of allowed us to accept these types of differences and these contradictions inherent to the character much more often than with what we've seen with women characters who carry different expectations. I mean, look at Batman, who's right next to Wonder Woman on so many different artwork reveals and so many different plans from DC and in the Black Label and all these different releases. Uh, Batman has the most forgiving fandom ever, despite the fact that he is a walking contradiction. And that turns into something that people love about the character, but it turns into a complaint or nitpicking or a note about what Wonder Woman should be and what these expectations are, what we're bringing to the table, because Wonder Woman's supposed to be better and we're supposed to have these expectations. And I, I think that it's something that is a larger question, but I don't think... I appreciate John's ability to navigate that question in such a, a meaningful and heartfelt way, but it's a very simple answer. Um, of course, we offer more leeway towards male characters. That's why we're just now talking about a book like Historia right now. I mean, how has this not already happened before? What types of contradictions in male characters that became acceptable and towards what Matthew is saying is marketable? What can sell in mainstream comics? What can be acceptable from an editorial vision versus execution from a creative team is now just delineating down into now we can do this with Wonder Woman. 
uh, Scott Snyder recently posted after he read the book was, uh, rarely do you encounter a book that reinvents so much in a way that feels totally surprising, yet completely organic to a character's mythology. And that's how you can get these types of contradictions that we see in this book that feels organic to the character's mythology, but hasn't happened yet because we have more leeway for these male characters where it's been ingrained into their execution and their portrayal for such a long time. I mean, you've got Bruce Wayne out there funding Arkham Asylum, putting people in it and treating mental health like it's something to be bashed in. And I think that's a contradiction that is ingrained into that character. And now we can talk about contradictions of Wonder Woman because that has done well. That's a whole other discussion and it's messy, but it's one that needs to be had. And what's interesting is there's that line, we are warriors after all, and the history of men does prefer a tidy narrative. So I just, I think there's so much fascinating things going on. I'm sorry, Matthew, I, I was interrupting you before you were going to respond to that. You're fine. We're on your corner, bud. You you do you. So, uh, no, I, I 100% agree with, with Nick. I mean, it has not been considered acceptable to have a female character that can embody both of those things. It's not been considered, it's been considered more acceptable for men because in comics, particularly, there has been the theory, which has been proven wrong in several years, that only, that the majority of comics readers are men and, and or people who identify as male. Well, so, uh, that actually might be changing. There is no, no. There, I, I'm saying it is changing. I'm saying well, there's there's research now that the majority is no longer male. That the majority no, is now female. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But up until very recently, the thought process was that you're writing comics for boys, and then it became you're writing comics for boys and men. But it was never you're writing comics to include strong female characters for a female readership. And that has changed to an extent over the last 15 years or so, slowly but surely, but it's only been that long from a medium that's been around for about 90 years, almost 90 years. So of course we haven't, as a, as a medium, we haven't really accepted three-dimensional female characters with contradictions within them the same way that we have men, because quite frankly, it's an industry that hasn't embraced female-led stories for a very, very long time. And uh, I think it's embraced a certain type of female-led story. Yes, but not necessarily the, the, not the kind of female-led story we're able to But not the kind that I think is important. Correct. And that's the thing. You, you, had, a, you had a Wonder Woman because you needed to have something, but it wasn't necessarily geared for in the same way. And it wasn't given the same kind of respect. It wasn't given the same sort of attention or media push um, that characters, that stories starring male characters are given until very recently. And even still to this day, it's a disproportionate amount of marketing spent. Yeah, and I want to clarify when I said, I'm sorry, give me one second, just because I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood. When I say I do think that there are, there have been female-led, think that it's been very small, and I think that it's been very much a female-led narrative that men wanted to see. Correct. So I just want to, I just want to clarify that people do not think, which is not to say that there haven't been some fabulous female comic artists from the very beginning and female comic writers 
But I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I am not saying that it was it's was it's always been great. I don't think that's the case. And John, I think you just answered the question for me. It has been stories starring women about women designed by men to fit within the types of stories that men think it should be. There's the bias, as you've just stated. Up until very recently within the industry with more female editors, with more female talent involved, with a growing female readership and marketplace demanding change, demanding an evolution of the stories, which has led to this moment where we get a book like this, but sadly it's taken until 2021 to get a book like this to Nick's point there. So that's that's where I come in in terms of answering the question. Okay, can I'm I sorry, jump on Jared, the back of that real quick? Yeah. Uh, we, we've, we're getting a story like this, but even then we're not getting it um, perfectly. And perfectly is in quotes there because as much as I'm loving this, it is DC Black Label. This isn't main continuity. This is something that not, it's not going to be point. Barnes and Great Noble point. until it's done. This is not something that's going to be seen in front of people that don't wander into a comic book store unless they want to. And like, it's in a magazine style format. It is gorgeous, uh, oversized. It's wonderful for the average comic book reader. But if I was to hand this to someone who doesn't read comics and say that it's a comic book, they might be a little confused by the message. Not really, but at the same time, what we would, I'm curious of this question to the three of you. Do you think this would succeed comic book format size and this would be broken up into about three issues? Do you think it would still have the, the effect that it has in this first issue over the course of three issues in comic book format? No, I don't think it would. I think no. the story itself is built for the only time I've ever read something that um, worked monthly that when I went back and read it as a whole piece, um, I was like, oh, this is even more brilliant this way is Rucka's Wonder Woman run. And the reason that I say that is he's a novelist. And so the the 30 issues or however many issues he was on in volume two, pre-Infinite Crisis, I think that was the crisis. I can't remember. I'm getting all my crises. Final crisis. You, you were right. It's, no, no, <laughs> it's, it's infinite leading up to final, basically. But um, the, the stuff that he wrote is amazing because it's, but he, he's a novelist. He started out as a novelist. Um, and so the way that the plot is, if I were to give the first issue to someone, they probably uh, like a regular comic book reader, like a real Wednesday warrior, they probably think like, oh, this is boring. But if I give the trade to someone who is a non-comic reader, they're like, this is amazing because it, it starts out at 30 miles an hour. And then by the time you get to issue five or six, you're at 120. Um, so I don't think this would work. I don't think Historia would work as a three-issue comic, but frankly, I don't want to see it that way. I think no. there's too many limitations that are put on monthly comics. I, I, you'd have to change everything. This, 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 this is designed to be an eventual graphic novel, which mm -hmm. is my point about the pacing earlier. This is this is not meant to be a single-issue monthly comic in that sense. If it was, this would be structured probably in a different way pacing would happen and it would need to be happening in a different way for it. 
um, because the artwork wouldn't be this size, the artist, I would, I would argue Filomena's would take that into account that it's going to be a certain paper size and have to, to, to change up some of the types of approaches he took to certain imagery in there. Yeah, the double page spreads and all that. Yeah. Well, not just, the, I, I would yeah. love to come into that. Yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, go Nick, please jump in. I, I, I'm very much interested in this idea because it's one of the concerns I brought up to John. And since we're talking about the format, I have to mention the digital accessibility of what this meant because I actually read the issue first digitally and it created a, a different experience that I think a lot of other people brought to it because the artwork is presented in a different way. Uh, it's not this type of paper. It's not this magazine format. It's not uh, structured in a way that feels different from your, your Wednesday warrior pull list and that type of thing, because I was able to experience those spreadsheets in their entirety. And when I opened up the book, when I bought the physical book and I opened it up, I, I felt disappointed because the way that the book is structured and the way the book is assembled intervenes into the artwork and, and it intervenes I had, into the way you're processing. And Yeah. And Nick and I talked about this. I had it completely yeah, because I bought, I, well, I bought four copies. I have each of the covers <laughs> and then I have a signed copy coming from Books with Pictures in Eugene, Oregon. Shout out to Books with Pictures. Wonderful I store. I just had a meeting with Katie earlier today. Shout oh, out to that store. Amazing, um, amazing people. Yeah. So I actually didn't have a problem with it because I knew that I was going to, at some point, just break the spine on this book because I was going to keep opening it. And I was like, this is my copy. I'm going to do whatever I want with it screw collecting, screw 9.8. I'm going to cut out pages. I'm going to put them on my wall. I'm going to frame them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to hold them close to me when I sleep at night because they're so freaking beautiful. So I was happy to get it physically. And I, I, I agree with you, Nick, in, in some point, it's a very different experience digitally than, than getting it. And I encourage everyone to buy a physical copy of this book. Um, I also encourage everyone to get a digital copy because the amount of detail you can see when you enlarge on a digital copy, mm -hmm. I would be fascinated to see. Right. But I think, I think that it's, it's a very different experience. And I think, Nick, you make a great point that if you were to read this digitally, you, would have a, you could potentially have a very, very different reading experience. And I would be really interested to hear from Jimenez, how, if he took any of that into account as he approached it, like what format was he most thinking of that people were going to read this on? Because this is right. not the kind of offering you do offer to the Wednesday Warrior. I don't think that's who this reader is. I don't think that's who this was written for, if you were. John, do you agree with that? I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I'm, I want to roll on because I, I don't, I want to make sure that we we get as much we're already gonna run long so we don't possible. want to <laughs> we're, we're already gonna run long i feel like Sorry, i feel like listeners. we need another recording session next week to just keep talking about this book um I'll but bring i want manhattan that's for sure there you go i but i want to roll back to something that we were talking about which is larger um kind of picture of this thing and for me if there is one thing in this book that i would change what I would change is a reader's understanding of how long the Greek empire really lasted. Because I think one thing that happens culturally 
when you're talking about people who are not in a culture that is specifically in need of a revolution, specifically wants a revolution, specifically is looking for things, people think that there is one moment in history that happens and then everything's different after that. People think, you know, like people talk to me and they're like, well, um, you know, stray friends of mine are like, well, Stonewall happened. And I'm like, there were, there was a hundred years before Stonewall of, of protests, of revolution, of, of riots that you're missing out on. People think, oh, well, it was, you know, the march across the Selma Bridge. And it was like, no, there was hundreds of years before these things happened. And I, I feel like the, I wanted a better understanding as a reader of how long that empire was, because it almost feels like people are going to read this and think, oh, Herodotus wrote his book and then the goddesses got upset. And it's like, no, there was, there was <laughs> thousands of years of, of, as they say, occlusion and degradation and entitlement and chattelry and subjugation and suppression. And so that's the one thing where I feel like I wanted more, if that makes sense. Am I crazy? I think that makes sense. I, I would agree with that. I also think this, this, um, this project in particular is a fascinating approach to Greek mythology. Because if you look at Greek mythology in and of itself, it's a lot of degradation and humiliation towards women. There is a lot of stories about that. Yes, and side note, I'm gonna make this this yeah, recommendation. Cool. I'm actually reading a book now called Pandora's Jar by Natalie Haynes, which is actually about women specifically in Greek mythology. And it's about how their stories have changed. And also about when you look at comparisons of like, like everybody's, you know, like everybody knows Medea. And everybody's like, oh, she was so awful. She killed her children, blah, blah, blah. But when you look awful, I'm not saying that anyone should harm a child in any way, shape or form. Just want to make sure. But my point being, when we look at Jason, everybody's like, oh, Jason's the hero. Well, Jason left like four wives, like literally got them to help kill their fathers, their brothers, to help him steal from them. And then just kind of was like, bye. And so really fascinating book, but I'm sorry. Um, let's go back to the, the Greek mythology discussion. But no, I think that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful point. I think this, this story is meant on some level to be a counterpoint to how traditional mythology is written, which is very skewed to make men the heroes and men the, the, the dominant force of them. And women's degradation and humiliation is all for the sake of making a moral point, right? Um, and, and I think this, this is a very fascinating context. And I think that will be taught about this story um, if it makes it into the classrooms is sort of, this is on some level a counter myth in many ways to what the traditional mythology is. And I think that's very, very cool. And I really admire this project for it. I actually really love that idea. And I didn't think about it until this discussion. Uh, it does rely on our own understanding of Greek mythology and what we're bringing into it. And it takes those expectations into consideration in its execution. And that's where we're able to find sort of that distinction from it, as Matthew said, as a counterpoint, because it, the work itself knows what we're bringing into our understanding of Greek mythology and this men or male dominated force. And where they're able to use that to create this experience in Historia that feels like a counterpoint. 
Yeah, and I, I want to, um, oh dear, did I, okay, I thought I muted myself for a second. There's also, um, while I'm recommending books, I'm going to have to remember the name of this book, but there is a really wonderful book for young girls. Um, literally, it is fairy tales from every single, from all sorts of different cultures, Celtic, Native American, Chinese, Japanese, Greek, where young girls are the heroes. And uh, Jane Yolen wrote it, and I can't remember the title, but while we are talking, I will look the title up. If you can um, find it for me, because I will buy that for my 10-year-old niece for Christmas. It's, a, it's an amazing book. I, I, will, I would love I will, to get that book for her. I will look it up for you. Um, but there are changing mythologies, which does, again, sort of also go into the idea of what we were talking about earlier with the Amazons of, oh, they're seen as peaceful, oh, they're seen as warriors. So all sorts of different things. Um, I do, uh, God, there's so many notes here that I wrote that I just want to talk about. And, and I'm sorry, we're going to run out of time, but I just want to talk about them. Um, but I do want to talk about one thing and I'm going to let Jer, I'm going to set Jeremiah loose on this one, which is the idea of, of Zeus being the God of justice. And when, um, Athena says to him, so it is just because you, the God of justice, say it is so. I think one of the things that I would love to see more in superhero books um, is something that I came across in a one, the Wonder Woman 75th anniversary special a few years ago, where she is, she says, um, you know, one person kills someone else and it's just to kill them to, you know, take a life for life. And then in the next sentence, she says, someone kills someone and justice is healing her so she doesn't kill again. And I think that there's a really fascinating thing in comic books and sort of like, what do we want out of our comics in general? And I'm, I know I'm opening up to a larger question, um, but uh, I just wanna kind of let Jeremiah loose on this one and say, what do we want for our comics? And why is the idea of justice so specific in comics? And does it need to change? Uh, I think the idea of justice in comics um, is right now, comics is a medium where there's good guys and there's bad guys. And the good guys, most of the time, modern comics is different, but in the history of comics, the good guys always win. Uh, in the world that we're living in now, Good guys don't always win. Um, so out of out of superhero comics, when we when we get justice, when we want justice, what we want is the hero to prevail in their way, whatever way that could be. And Historia, uh, with that mention of Zeus, just because you say it, so that means it's so. It, it is all against that. It's not all against that, but it's that that's not right. And we understand that it's not right. And comics as a culture, like Matt was saying, in the last 15 years has changed, has evolved. And, and comics have been going on for over a millennia, not a millennia, that's over a century now, uh, going back to 1895. So uh, when it comes to justice in comics, what we want is the hero to win. And what history has shown us is that's not always the case because they weren't always allowed to. I love that. Um, okay, so one, the title of that Jane Yolen book that I was thinking of is called Not One Damsel in Distress. It's a fabulous book. 
support your local uh, bookstore, go and uh, pick up a copy. It's fantastic. Great Christmas present. I've recommended it each and every year of my 30 years in comic in uh, in book retail. Um, we are going to wrap this up because we're almost getting to the hour, which I feel so bad about because I really want to keep talking about this book because well, I think we'll there's have so much to schedule here. A second, we'll have to schedule a bonus episode, John. That's all. I uh, Well, I, I'm sure a half an hour of that bonus episode will just be me talking about how much I want the second book of this, like now. I would like it well, now, let's it, please. Let's do it. Let's do it when the second book comes out. We'll do another episode. We'll do a follow -up. I would like it now. Um, but I do want to ask, um, I know I thought about it and I want to know how you guys thought about it. Matthew, I'm going to start with you. Which tribe are you? Oh, uh, totally tribe of Athena. Absolutely. All day long. Um, you know, let's be clear. I'm, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but that's where I want to be. That's where you want to be? That's where uh, I want to be. And Nick, how about you? Am I going to be judged by saying Aphrodite? <laughs> no, you will not be. I will. I judge you for so many reasons, but that's not one of them. I will, uh. I'll judge you. <laughs> but it'll be a positive judgment. That's if that makes no. you feel Okay, better. yeah, that's a little better, right? <laughs> there you go. Uh, Jeremiah, how about yourself? Artemis, for sure. Makes sense. What about you, John? I So I'm a fire sign, so I think I'm tribe of oh, Hestia, God. but... Uh, if I could choose any tribe, totally try to tribe of Artemis. I I just think that's where I am. I, I have a feeling um, if I was an Amazon in a past life, I was probably pretty um, I was probably pretty strident. Um, and frankly, I deserved to be strident because. Um, okay, so we are um, We've been talking for an hour and I could keep talking forever and I'm sure we probably want to keep talking forever, but we are going to wrap up this episode of Comics Corner. We wanted to, um, uh, actually, I'm so sorry, before I do that, uh, Jeremiah J, do you have anything that you want to plug? Social media, what do we have coming up from you? I want to hear about it. Uh, nothing crazy. Um, I just, I started a, a new Instagram um, displaying my affinity for Paula Rivera. <laughs> Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And wonderful uh, affinity to have, sir. Yeah. What, what a guy. If I'm going to plug anything, uh, I'll plug the interview I did with him uh, about a month and a half ago. I did an interview with Paulo discussing some of my favorite and some of his most important uh, covers. You can find that on Paneloids, uh, the YouTube channel, which has the video interview, and then Paneloids on all podcast networks has the audio interview with that. Should watch the video because it makes a lot more sense. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much my big plug. Uh, I'm still trying to write. Um, I've got a lot more of my one story that, down than I thought I did. So, and it's turning into a lot bigger than I thought it would. Um, but that's, yeah, that's about it. So the Rivera collection on Instagram, if you wanna see my focus of his work and Paneloids for the interview with him, I did a little while back. Yes, and it's an excellent interview. I, I have seen it several times, I love it. Um, Nick, how about yourself? Anything that you have coming up that you want to plug? Social media that you want people to follow you at? Like, follow, and subscribe? I think I got that right. Oh, that was good. You nailed that one. Um, you know, it's 
if you care for my ramblings from everything in gaming to anime, just watch Sword Art Online Progressive. And I was one of the only people in the theater there. Brilliant. So I'm constantly rambling about things I'm a fanboy of. So if that's something you're interested in, just add Nick Osborne. But really here to plug where you can get this book, because that's what we're all here for. So go to your local comic shop, uh, my comic shop locator, if you need to find one that's near you. Uh, go to a digital accessibility. There's Comixology, Hoopla, so many different ways to access this book. Any way you can get this book in front of you and read it, support the industry, pay for the book, buy it physical, buy it digital, just read it. That's my plug. Excellent. Mr. Matthew Klein, anything that you have uh, got, got a couple of cool, exciting things. So John, uh, John and I, from this podcast, we are going to be airing a new pilot show here for uh, April's The Cruelest Month. Uh, so stay tuned. I believe that's going to be dropping actually next week, wherein John and I are going to do sort of Mystery Science 3000 on some pro wrestling because John is not uh, the traditional fan of pro wrestling, and I am a diehard Mark. I cannot um, wait to listen to this. So we <laughs> we are recording on Monday uh, following this episode, and we should actually have it up uh, next Friday. So we are. I'm going to be choosing about 30 minutes worth of pro wrestling off of Peacock um and and going to be uh putting that in front of john so we're going to be doing that next week uh i'm also most likely going to be coming out with a web comic in the new year called no rhyme or reason which if you want just a great late 80s early 90s detective story uh that's going to be your jam it's going to be 10 weeks worth of content 10 episodes um i'm very excited about it actually had it done last year most likely it's going to end up on either tapas or webtoon depending on how i can get it up there um, and then I actually just got an offer email uh, last week that I've accepted for a very cool comics project, which will hopefully be coming out in 2022. So stay tuned for that. Um, and there may be rumblings of a season two of April's The Cruelest Month that John and I will be involved with as well. So a lot of really cool things coming up uh, at the end of this year and next. So stay tuned, everybody. Uh, you can follow me on at uh, Matthew Klein 316 on Twitter because I am the bottom line when it comes to comics and pro wrestling. Um, I'm a Matt the Knife, Mac the Knife 316 on 1116, excuse me, on Instagram as well. Okay, I'll just pretend I know what any of that means, but great. Uh, <laughs> I'm very excited to hear about the comic project, which I actually know about, but I can't tell anybody about, so don't ask no, me. No, we're because... not allowed to yet. Yeah. Um, so. We want to say thank you for joining us. Um, again, the book is Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons. Uh, as Nick said, use my comic shop locator. Please support your local comic shop, um, especially this time of year. Uh, please have a safe and happy um, and wonderful holiday season. Um, just a reminder, um, as I think we've proven by talking for over an hour now about this book, um, comics are so much more than um, we often think. There's something out there for everyone. When you go to your local comic shop, just ask any one of the employees about something that you're looking for. I guarantee you there's a book in that store that you will love. Um, again, the two books that, the two prose books that we talked about, uh, one is a nonfiction called Pandora's Jar by Natalie Haynes. The other one is a uh, children's book of fairy tales called Not One Damsel in Distress by Jane Yolen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please join us next week for what will probably be my very filthy mouth talking about pro wrestlers um, and pro wrestling. 
Um, I'm going to just put a, an R rating on that episode now. Um, but do join us for April is the cruelest month and have a safe and happy holiday season. We love you. Thank you.